that's good. I mean, read books. Um, I'm going to recommend a couple to you this morning. Read books, but you can't just read books. You also have to be with God's people, hear God's word, what it says on parenting, and also be around parents, be around kids, okay? Put yourself in those situations. If you're in that season of life, that's why you ought to listen this morning, Obviously, for those of you who are parents, you're, you're aware how much help you need, and we're going to get into that this morning. Um, you're, you also should be aware that there's a lot of voices in the world telling you how to parent, telling you, here's what kids should look like, here's what the home should look like, here's what your parenting skills ought to look like, okay, this is what a good kid looks like, this is what a not good, good kid looks like. Okay, there's a lot of books you can buy, non-Christian books. Even a lot of the Christian books are really just kind of garbage. There's a lot of garbage out there speaking into your life on parenting. A lot of stuff on television, a lot of stuff in magazines. Okay, you've got to schedule this and feed them the, and boom, 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 boom. You have to have it all perfectly mapped out, and if you don't, you're a failure as a parent. Okay, just there's a lot of voices speaking into your life. As Christians, there's some stuff out there that we can benefit from, for sure, but first and most, we need to go to Scripture, First and most, we need to go to God and his word and say, God, what does your word say about parenting? How can I conform my life to be a father like you, to be a mother that honors you? What does it look like to be a godly parent? We have to go to God's word. And if you are in the season where you feel that you're past your parenting years, maybe your kids are grown and older and they've left the house, I would just say a few things for you. Number one, I don't, you pro- I don't think you ever really get past it, actually. It just changes. I'm not there, I have young kids, but from what I see and observe, you never really get past, past it. You're always speaking, hopefully, wisdom and influence into your children's lives. The, the relationship changes, obviously, when your child's uh, two years old or when they're 30 years old, there's a big difference, but you're, you're still a parent. Number two, um, we have dozens of kids here at the church, and we're growing. We, we grow, you know, by, I don't know, 10 you know, 10 or 15 members every like quarter or two, and with that comes three or four or five new kids. Kids are being born here. Um, we, we, ha- we have like 17 baby dedications lined up in the next couple of months. Uh, we have kids down in the classrooms. They're, they're, they're down there. Trust me, they're down there. And, 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 you, and you, all of us, but you, for those of you who think, well, I'm past the parenting years, don't think for, don't believe the lie that you as a member of our church with all those kids are not somewhat responsible for their growth and well-being and training. Okay, we have our families, but we also have our church family. And, and we can't just say, well, I just did that in the family and now my responsibility is over. It's like, no, we've covenanted together uh, to love each other, to help each other, and particularly when it comes to raising children and training them and pointing them to Jesus and loving them and showing them what an example of a godly parent and a godly adult is like, you bear responsibility in that as well. So that's another reason. If you're past that season that you feel that you're actually not past it, in addition, uh, you will have grandchildren if you don't have grandchildren already. And I just know from my children and from, from, from their grandparents who, who are here this morning, Jamie and Laura have an inordinate, just amazing amount of influence in the lives of my children. And so it, it, if you're, maybe you're there, maybe you're not there yet, you're looking forward to that. Um, Proverbs speaks really highly of grandparents. And grand, grandchildren are, are, are a heritage 
for them. And I know it's not the same in every family, but I think to varying degrees, godly grandparents have wisdom and influence and can speak life and training to their grandkids. Lastly, if you're in that season, you also need to know that not only are there kids here, young kids, there's also young parents that really need your help. So look, it's not time to check out yet, okay? So everybody needs a refresher or some new information, maybe it's the first time you're hearing content like this on biblical, godly, God-honoring, Christ-centered parenting. And as we said to the gals last week, um, as we looked at... um, biblical womanhood in Proverbs, we need to say this, it's what we're looking for in parenting, what the Bible's looking for, is not perfection, but direction. We're not talking about being the perfect parent. (laughs) You're gonna hear things this morning where you're gonna, we're gonna think together, I mean, I failed in that. We're gonna get into this. Like, I I haven't done a good job in that. I've, I've blown it in that. Okay, we're not talking about perfection, we're talking about direction. That's sanctification, moving in a certain direction. Okay, you could be going 100 miles an hour towards Los Angeles, but if you need to get to San Diego, it's better to go one mile an hour in the right direction than super fast in the wrong direction. Okay, so we're talking direction, not perfection when it comes to parenting. It's important to keep this in mind. Here's another thing that's important to keep in mind. I have come to realize it can be hard to receive instruction on this as parents, can't it? In fact, I would say it's almost impossible to tell parents anything about their kids unless they really want to listen. If not, it's like hitting a brick wall. So I would just say this. As we get started, I'm going to ask you to fire your inner lawyer. Okay? Fire your inner lawyer, and if you have an inner law firm, you need to dissolve it this morning. When you hear some of these things that Proverbs has to say about parenting, about you, about your children, and about parenting as a whole, your lawyer will materialize on your shoulder, and he will say to you, he doesn't get it. You're the exception. That's out of context. It's different in my situation. Trust me, I've heard all of it. So just fire that guy, and let's try to be humble together as we pursue God's model and instruction on biblical parenting, no matter what season we're in. Amen? As with all other things that we've seen in Proverbs, um, parenting is created by God, and God created parenting good. (laughs) God is really... uh, the first parent, he is called our father. He creates Adam and Eve as his children. God is father to them, and God tells them to become parents. He says, be fruitful and multiply. That doesn't only apply to uh, bearing children, but it also applies to bearing children, and, and, and God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Okay, so parenting is created good. Genesis 3 happens, and, and, and the fall happens, and sin enters the world, and parenting then becomes distorted and confused. Parenting now is distorted and confused, and it has been since Genesis 3. If you don't believe me, just turn to Genesis 4. Okay? The the first parents had their first kids, and one of them murdered the other one. That's confused. That's distorted. Adam and Eve did not intend for that to happen. Parenting has been like that 
ever since. Children have been like that ever since. And we must know as Christians in a fallen world, there's sin out there, there's sin in here. It's not just all out there. There is sin out there, but it's also in here. It's in us. Okay? Proverbs says a couple things about children. Sometimes it says, you know, the companion of fools will suffer harm. And we focus on that, you know, don't hang out with the wrong people. Well, it also says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. It's not just about who we hang out with. It's also about us. Sometimes we're that person. Sometimes we're the person that shouldn't be hung out with. Okay, it's not just out there. We also have to realize it's in here. It's in the world. It's also in our hearts. Sin is. And listen, with that in mind, we need to realize what God calls us to do, what he calls us to do in parenting and as parents. He calls us to raise and parent our children in a biblical, fruitful God-honoring, God-glorifying way. That's what God calls us to do. And we need to know and admit that that task is impossible. It's not a possible task. We cannot accomplish that task. Think with me. If you're, especially if you are a parent. And if, and if you're not yet, maybe you want to close your ears for a second. But think with me as a parent what you do. Endless patience. Not just day after day, not even just hour by hour, but minute by minute sometimes. As parents, you must put another human or other humans first, far above your own needs, oftentimes. You, you make incredible sacrifices. You sacrifice sleep. You sacrifice independence, you sacrifice leisure, you sacrifice quiet, you sacrifice regular vacations, you sacrifice financially, maybe. You must restrain your frustration. You must kill your self-righteousness. You have to majorly adjust every single aspect of your life. To take care of another person, to serve another person who is often demanding and disrespectful. If you've ever been around a two-year-old, you know the sweetest two-year-olds can often be demanding and disrespectful. They They don't know the sacrifices you're making. And sometimes we let them know that, don't we? That is being a parent. And listen, all of that is completely unnatural. It's an impossible task. And so what we're going to do this morning is I want to start big. I want to start with a big idea where I think parenting starts, where we must start as parents. And I'm going to kind of funnel in and get more specific. We're going to look at where parenting starts. Big idea, this impossible task, right? We're going to unpack that. We're going to look at the godly home, some general stuff. We're going to get real specific at the end. What does it look like to train our children in wisdom specifically? But here's where we must begin as parents as prospective parents, we must begin, parents, with confession. We must begin with confession. This is where parenting begins. Parenting is an impossible task. Parenting in God's way is an impossible task. And we must confess this. I do not have the capability to do it in myself. I do not have the capability to parent in a fruitful, God-honoring way myself. I do not have that strength. 
Parenting does not begin with strategy. It does not begin with books. It doesn't begin with baby-wise. It doesn't begin with your child's diet. It doesn't begin with their safety. Aside from baby-wise, all those things are really important. Okay, but it doesn't, it doesn't begin with any of those things. It begins with confession. We, all of us, must confess that we cannot do this in ourselves. We must confess that we are sinners. We must confess that we are sinners just like our kids. Proverbs 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I, have, I am clean from sin. Who can say that? He's not expecting anyone to say me. The answer is nobody. Nobody can say that I've kept myself pure, that my heart is clean from sin. We must confess that we are sinners, and we are, we are, we are sinners just like our kids. I'm going to give you a few examples, not just of sin, but I'm going to kind of build up. I'm going to try to get you on ramp to a big idea here. Okay, my daughter, she's, she'll be two on Christmas, so she's almost two. She's a couple months away. And she is just in, I mean, it's so, it is so cute, but it's also just, you know, you, you can just see, you know, okay, this has to be tempered, right? She is in that stage where she just wants to do everything on her own. She says, I do it, I do it. We're like, okay, all right, you do it, right? And it's like everything. I used to go out on walks. Got to push the button, open the garage door. I do it. And she just scrambles up on the table, pushes the garage door. I push button. I push button. And she pushes it. It's like, good job. I lift her, take her off the table. And she goes, I do it. And climb, shimmies down and pops off, you know. Okay, good, good job. When we're brushing her teeth, same thing. She wants to brush her teeth. And I have to say, look, daddy's going to brush her first. Her mommy's going to brush them first. You can brush them after. If I let you do it, your teeth would fall out in like four days. So I, I'm going to brush your teeth, okay? And then you can do some afterwards. Then she spits. Puh. She doesn't spit anything. She just is like doing the motion. It's super cute. She just tries to do everything on her own. Okay? <laughs> she, she, she's absolutely determined. But listen, she has no idea what she's doing. She has no idea what she's doing. Uh, my son had, it could be the same way. I, I remember um, as recently, maybe a month or a month and a half ago, I was giving him a bath, and we took him out of the bath. And the floor is all wet, you know, because they're in the bathtub just like playing, you know, tsunami or whatever. And, you know, just waters, you know, it's mayhem. And get him out of the bath, and the floor is soaking wet. Okay, and he's just all excited. I'm like, Haddon, don't run. Don't run, bud. You're going to slip and fall if you run. Sure enough, whoosh, right on butt, right? Just, well, you know, it's, it's a bummer as a kid. I have to admit, when I realized okay, everything's okay, I was deeply satisfied. It was like instant. It was instant. Oh, I'm sorry about that, Val. I'm sorry. I wasn't even mad that he didn't listen. It's like, Sorry, yeah, that's what that's what happens when you don't listen to daddy, you know? Living illustration. Maybe you've experienced this with your children at the dinner table and they eat the stuff they like, and then there's that one section of the plate. Maybe for your kids it's the greens, maybe for your kids it's something with a weird texture. 
and they make up their mind. No matter what you do, my mouth is not opening. I am not, that is not going in my mouth. What's the issue in all of those situations? I would submit to you, the issue is not teeth brushing or opening the garage door. The issue is not running in the bathroom when it's wet. The issue is not veggies. The issue is authority. The issue is authority. I am going to do what I want to do. I have no idea what I'm doing. None. But I am going to do what I want to do. That's our children. Okay, but in this confession that we must begin with, we have to realize that's exactly like us. We are exactly that way. Don't believe me? Maybe you as a husband have come home and you've been really harsh with your wife. Maybe you've yelled at her. Maybe you've said things that she should never hear. You've spoken to, with, with her at her in a tone that is absolutely deplorable. And you're a Christian. Did you for a second think that was okay? See, the issue is not, I got confused on the commandments and I realized I can't cuss my wife out. I forgot. No, that's not the issue. The issue is you in that moment decided I'm going to do what I want to do. I am going to do what makes me feel better. And for some reason, chewing into my wife makes me feel good. And I believe we can be there and love Jesus and that's a sin and we need to repent of it. But listen, the issue is authority. I'm going to do what I want to do. Maybe you've talked with your kid in a way that they shouldn't have that they should have never heard. Maybe you as a wife have been disrespectful or you've blown your husband off or have not cared for him as you ought to. The issue is not you forgetting what you want to do. The issue is, I don't want to do that. So I'm not going to do it. And listen, that's what our kids do with us. That's what we do to God. That's exactly how we are before God. So we must approach parenting with a humble confession that I can't do this on my own, and I'm a sinner just like them. Okay, that confession helps alleviate self-righteousness. Right, when it's quiet time, we bust into the room because quiet time is not happening, or you know the kids aren't going to sleep when they ought to go to sleep. We bust in. We start getting at it. You aren't listening to me. Why aren't you listening to me? I had a long day. We're tired. Mommy and Daddy are tired. You need to go to bed. Okay, we're talking with them in a tone as if we don't do that exact same thing with God. It's called self-righteousness. So, we must, with our children, confess, surprise us. Instead of blowing up or becoming self-righteous or abusive, we, we go to the gospel. We go to the gospel. Yes, we discipline. We'll get to that. We, kids need discipline. They need to know what sin is. They need to know sin has a consequence. They need to know Jesus paid for their sin. They can't just get off scotch-free, have no consequences for, for, for their sin. Life is not like that. 
They need to understand that. They also need to see Jesus as a gracious Savior who forgives us our sin even when we don't deserve it. So we go to the gospel with them. We go to the gospel for ourselves. Parenting is gospel ministry. It's gospel ministry. So, look, if we begin with this confession, that's where it starts. We begin with this confession, and we begin parenting in light of the gospel, in line with this confession. We need to ask then, what does that look like? What does that look like in our lives? What does that look like in our homes? And I would just say this for us. We begin with confession, okay, but as a result of that then, we must cultivate a God-centered home. We must cultivate a God-centered home. We're confessing we need God. We're confessing we need His wisdom. We're confessing we need His help, His gospel. Okay, the the result of that then is a God-centered home. We must cultivate a God-centered home. We live in a day where, 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 just to be honest with you, children are, are basically the center of the home. Much of the time, if not most of the time. We live in a child-centered culture. Children are often above, set above spiritual priorities. Children's wants or whatever it is, children come above spiritual priorities. And in Christian families, no one would say that. No one would say, my kids come above my spiritual priorities. But functionally, it often works out that way. Functionally, people miss church all the time because something their kids have going on. I mean, all the time. This is like not a new phenomenon. It's been going on in America for a long time. If something my kid is doing interferes, that comes first. Children often come above spouses, certainly. I was reading an article this week, and it was a secular article, but the authors were saying that, (laughs) which I thought was interesting, that the divorce rate is actually fairly significantly declined, not just among Christians, just in general. It's declined in the last 20 years. But but for folks who are in their 50s and older, since the 1990s, the divorce rate has doubled almost. In, in, in folks who now, they're getting to a, a place in life where their kids are out of the house. Their kids are gone. The kids aren't at home anymore. And then the kids leave and the marriage falls apart. Or it had fallen apart a long, it, it, it had fallen apart a long time ago, but now we just, we, we split up. We were together for the kids. Right? We were together for the kids. And they held us together. We had camaraderie because of the kids. We had a common mission with the kids. They're gone. We're out. We're out. Okay? That's increasing. That's a child. That's the result of a child-centered home. One of the results. I have a quote for you from this article. Will marriage survive when the children move out? That's what it's called. With an empty nest often comes the vivid realization that you also have an empty marriage, tending to family tends to take the immediate attention off of the faults in your relationships. You never deal with stuff. You never deal with conflict. You never deal with what you need to deal with. You never tend to your relationship. In fact, it's easy to sort of coexist with your partner when you're amidst the hustle and bustle of raising a family. Now listen, we must say, look, parenting changes your life. A lot of things change. You're not going to have the same life as I call, I call non, like if you're married with non, no kids, I call that single now. So if you hear me say single, I might just be calling married people who don't have any kids single because it's like being single. You're dating, you're married, but it's like you're dating. It's a slumber party every night. 
normally. A lot of the times it's not. Sometimes people have challenges there. I'm just saying, though, like, that part is, it, it's easier. You have kids. It adds a lot of complexity to your life and marriage. Could we all get that? But what even this secular article is saying, that the kids can become, if they're the focus, the only focus or the main focus all the time for decade after decade, you're, you have a big problem on your hands. Some of you are, know this. Some of you grew up in homes like this where you were the center. It's not helpful for you either. Okay, Christian parents also, we, we must not be fooled. We must not think, well, that's out there. We must not be fooled. We are often influenced by worldly and not godly wisdom. Okay, we just need to admit that. <laughs> stuff seeps into our hearts, our minds. We, we listen to stuff subconsciously that's, that's just not biblical and it's not godly. I'm not saying all non-Christian literature is bad. That's not what I do not hear that. But there's a lot of Christian and non-Christian content that's garbage. Listen, but Proverbs, the Bible, Proverbs is clear. Biblical parenting builds its house on God and his wisdom. Proverbs 24, 3 through 4. By wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all the precious and pleasant riches. Okay, by wisdom a house is built. By God's wisdom. Proverbs 3.19 The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. You have that? There on the screen, Proverbs 3.19, the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth by understanding he established the heavens. God built his house by his wisdom. We need to build our houses by his wisdom. God built the earth and everything in it by his wisdom. Who are we to think that we can, that we can, stack, a, that we can you know, stack a pile of paper without God's wisdom? I mean, honestly, let alone have a healthy marriage, healthy kids, pay the bills, honor God, be hospitable, do all the things in our home with our children that we need to do to honor God. I mean, where do we, why do we think that we can just do that like on the fly? We need God's wisdom. We need God's wisdom desperately. The, the, homes, the homes that are not built on God's wisdom, God says this on your screen, Proverbs 3.33 the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked. Proverbs 14.11, the house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. Now listen, don't hear wicked and think, you know, really bad people, murderers, people who steal cars. Whatever you think is really bad, you think of their, you think of their house, and you're like, that house is bad. They're wicked. Look, wickedness is anything that's opposed to God. Wickedness is anything that is not on the same tracks as God. Wickedness is doing things not God's way. Yeah, that's wickedness. We can all not be murderers and build our house on wickedness. Okay, is your home child-centered or God-centered? Remember, we begin with this confession. We, we can't do this on our own. We, 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 we're not looking for perfect, perfection. We're, we're looking for direction. And remember, I asked you to fire your inner lawyer. 
Is your home child-centered or God-centered? And I would imagine that even among the most mature and godly parents, there's, there's always room for growth here. Some of us might just need to uproot the whole system. We just need to build a new house. But some of us may just need to make some adjustments. There's, there's always room for growth. There's always room for growth. Does your child come before your spouse? Is your child more important than your spouse? And I want to talk here primarily about families with younger children. Does your child come before your spouse? Look, kids are needy. We understand that. And like, if you have an infant, you can't be like, you need to nurse? Sorry, you know. <laughs> Sorry, I got something else to do with my, with my hubby or whatever, you know. Sorry, I, you, can't, you can't eat right now, kid. That's not what I'm talking about, okay. <laughs> like, if you're your two-month-old needs to nurse, you better nurse, you better nurse them, and you as a family should understand that, okay? So don't just think of like one really particular, you know, don't get too specific on me here. Zero to, I don't know, 18. Do your kids come before your spouse? Life gets different when you have kids, for sure. We have to understand that. We're, I'm, I'm assuming we all are like on the same page there. Life changes. Children enter your life. We now need to give them a lot of attention. But if your spouse and their needs are forgotten or neglected, largely, or if the question is always, what's best for my child? You have a child-centered home. I'll give you a few different questions you can check the temperature on this. Do you ever get alone time? Do you ever get nights out? I'm not talking like you have to have date night every single week, no matter what. That's not what I'm talking about. Do you, but do you get time away? Do you get time alone? Even if the kids go down, are you connecting? Is that a priority? Do you get time alone, nights out? Are you able to have conversations without tending to your kids? Are you able to have conversations without... And by tending to your kids, I don't mean say... I don't mean by saying... Stop talking right now. You know, mommy and dad are talking. That's fine. But are you able to have conversations without your kids interrupting and you I gotta stop this conversation, gotta go tend to your need? Are you able to say, you know, no? Mommy and daddy are talking right now. Does that ever happen? Or is it always interruption that always diverts? How's your sleep situation? Do your kids regularly interrupt your sleeping patterns? And do you give in to that every time? Or do you say no? No. You need to sleep in your bed. You need to sleep now. Do your children parent hop? You know what that is, right? Mom, can I, can I have this? Nope. Dad, can I have this? Oh, sure. Your kids parent hop. Because, if, okay, look, if they parent hop, one of the things is that they, they, they know you're not united. They might not think it that way, but they know, you know, I got some play here. I got some wiggle room. I'm just going to switch off. I'm the main priority, and so I'm going to just keep asking until I get what I want. Okay, those, those are some marks of a child-centered home. Those are some marks of your child coming before 
your spouse. Sometimes it's, look, sometimes this is one parent who's like this and maybe a little bit neglectful, and it's not always just the wife. Sometimes it can be the, the husband. Sometimes this is one parent. Sometimes both are in on it. Both are elevating the children. Both have created little idols. And look, this is subtle stuff. This is subtle stuff. It's not like you literally have an idol set up in your room. It's like, I'm talking about godly Christian people. We all have room for growth in these areas. Okay, well, if that's a picture of your home right now, there, there, there may need to be some recalibrations, some reprioritizations, some good, healthy, helpful conversations to change those things. Number two, does your child dictate your schedule? Okay, again, kids, they come into our lives, into the world, they are very needy, and we have a new schedule, right? We have a new schedule when we have kids, that's for sure. I'm not saying, did your schedule change? I'm saying, do you have a new ruler? Your schedule's gonna change, that's for sure, right? There's no question about that. I'm not asking if your schedule changed, I'm asking if your schedule is now dictated by your child. Do, Do you have a new ruler when it comes to what you do, where you go, when you go? Again, do you get date nights? Do you, friends, do you, are, you, are you making it a priority to be in community together as a couple, leaving the kids at home? Do sports or naps take precedent over church? You can't afford that spiritually. You can't. And neither can your child. You cannot afford for your child to dictate your, your, your schedule, especially when it comes to what God has specifically called you to do with his people. Number three, is the gospel on display in your home? Parents, we realize, we confess, we recognize we're sinners We're forgiven by grace. We're redeemed by grace. We have received all of that as a free gift, unmerited. Christian families and Christian homes ought to be filled with thanksgiving, filled with joy, pursuing the grace of God and pursuing the fruit of the Spirit. We're not talking about perfection, but direction. We're pursuing together as a family in our home the fruit of the Spirit. Are we pursuing joy? Are we pursuing love? Are we pursuing forgiveness? Conflict is going to happen. I'm not saying there's no conflict. I'm not saying no one's ever grumpy. I'm not saying things aren't ever hard. I'm saying when that stuff comes, are we pursuing the fruit of the Spirit? And are we pursuing gospel application when those situations come up? Listen, again, if you don't have kids, I want to encourage you, get in the home of godly parents. And you know what? They're going to tell you, they're going to tell you, hey, look, we're, we're working on, on this. We don't have it all together. Don't go to judge. Go to learn. Go, to, go, go in humility. Go to help. Okay, we're all growing and pursuing biblical, godly parenting together. But if you don't have any kids, get in the homes of men and women in this room who have kids and families. Invite singles in. Again, not perfection, but direction. 
We are not perfect, and this is not a one-day journey, but a, a lifelong pursuit. Okay? So, God-centered home. Okay, so shaping then our, our home and our children by the gospel centered on God, that requires daily training. That requires daily training. We must begin as parents with confession. We must pursue and cultivate a God-centered home, and we must daily train our children in wisdom. We must train our children in wisdom. Proverbs 22:15. folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from it. I want to start with the first part of that verse. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Look, we confess for ourselves. We're sinners. We have folly, but we also must remember this is true for our children. Our children are not born Christians. They must hear the gospel. They must receive the gospel. They're not born with godly wisdom. They're not born with it. They need to learn godly wisdom. They need to learn what the Bible says about living in a way that, that honors and glorifies God. I'm going to look at a few different ways that we train our children in wisdom. The first is example. Example. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the, the companion of fools suffers harm. A lot of things in life are caught and not taught. There's some things that are taught. We're going to look at that in instruction. We're going to look at example, instruction, correction. But example, there's some things that are caught, more caught than taught. Parents, we are the ones our kids will spend the most time with. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Our kids will walk with us first and most, especially in the early years. Even in the later years, we have influence in their lives. They're, they're the ones walking. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise, they're walking with us. You are their source of wisdom. What you do, how you live, speaks volumes to your children. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. Okay, your love for, your trust in, and your wisdom from God will shield them from lies, from deceit, from destruction. Okay, without, without that from you, without your wisdom, without your shield, shielding that God's called you to do, they'll be open to the onslaught of the enemy and the world and lies and evil and whatever other destruction is out there. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children have a refuge. As you fear God, as you love God, obey God, as you trust God, as you honor God, as you set up your home the way God wants, your children have refuge in that. They literally have a shield over them. Proverbs 27, the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Your example affects their lives for good or for ill. Parents, your example affects their lives. Your children will not function properly in any other role or relationship if they do not know and love God. They're, they'll still be in Genesis 3. 
If they don't get transformed by the renewing of their mind, if they don't get a new heart, if they don't understand godly wisdom, if they don't understand these things, they won't function properly in any other relationship. Your, your sons will not function properly as husbands. Your daughters will not function properly as wives. They will not function properly in friendships. They will not function, have the right view of their vocation or their job. They will not have the right view of their body and their sexuality. They will not function properly if they don't know God. Human beings do not function properly if we don't know God. The Bible says we actually need a new heart. We need, we need to be regenerated. We need to be born again. We need to be totally redone. Our kids need that. And it all starts with your example. You are, I realized this when I was, when I had, we had our first son and I was sitting in the hospital and I was reading something and I look up and he's in his little thing looking at me. He's like an hour old, you know, and he's just looking over at me. And I didn't realize he was looking at me, you know. And he's like an hour old. He's just, he doesn't know anything, but he's just staring at me. And I just realized at that moment, we, we as parents, until your kids can read, until they can hear sermons, okay, I'll do all that stuff. And we as parents are as much of Christ as our kids will see. We realize that? I'm not saying we're Jesus. I'm not saying we're God. Don't get weird on me. I'm just saying we tell them about Jesus, and, the, and all they're going to know about Jesus is what we say and what we do. What we say and if what we do reinforces and, and, and backs up what we say. All of that they're going to learn from us. So how are you modeling? How are you modeling? How are you setting example? What kind of example do your children see? <laughs> Remember I was, a couple weeks ago, I was walking down the street with Haddon and some guy comes down our street and just zooming down, going super fast. And I was about to say something, but Haddon goes, slow down! <laughs> and I was like, there's that example. <laughs> Then a couple weeks ago, I, we hadn't wanted to put Mabel down. We, she got, we was down a little bit earlier sometimes, and so put him in her crib, and he starts praying over her. And he starts praying the same things that we pray over him. He was praying for her protection. He was praying that she'd be the, the godly woman. He was praying that the people in our lives that don't know Jesus would get saved. He's praying all these things on his own. So half of what we do is probably needs to be thrown out and sanctified. But parents, you and I, we as parents, man, like, we don't even realize sometimes. But the what we're doing, our kids recognize, they pick up on, and they begin to value what we value. They say what we say. They do what we do. They want to go where we go. They want to be like us. Your example is crucial. How... Is that going for you? How are you modeling? In what ways are you modeling Christ and the gospel? How do you and your spouse talk about God? How do you talk about God to each other? How do you talk about God to your guests? How do you talk about God with your kids? We sing to our children every night at bedtime, and when guests are over and they go to bed, you know what we do? I mean, obviously, when like our family, but when guests who are over for the first time, you know what we do? We sing. Our kids know, okay, singing, worshiping God, we don't just have to do that just in private. We do it in private, and we do it with others. Well, it's important that they know that. How do you talk about God with your spouse, with others, with your kids? How are you seeking to grow with God? Look, do your kids see you reading the Bible? Do they see you praying? Do they see you honoring God? 
Do they see that happening? Do they see mom or dad with their Bible? Do they see mom or dad on their knees? Do they see mom or dad pointing to Jesus? Do they hear that? Your kids need to see that. That's not instruction. You read your Bible. We also need to tell them to read the Bible and read it with them. But do they see you doing it? Do they see you doing it? How do you set priorities in the home? Look, your priorities teach. Your priorities teach. Here's what they teach. They teach, this is what should be valued. This is what should be valued. What you prioritize tells your children, this is what we should value. If you really value baseball, and you make time for baseball, and you just, you go, I mean, you do it. You do the baseball thing. It's like, that's what we're about. Yeah, we love Jesus, but we love baseball. Guess what your kids are going to grow up thinking is really important? Baseball. Baseball. What priorities do you set? Is church attendance a priority, or is it optional? Would your child view... If they could articulate this, would they view church attendance as one of their highest priorities or would they view it as basically optional? Honestly. I mean, for those of you that are old enough, ask your children. Would they view time with God's people, time in worship, time in Bible, time in prayer, would they view that stuff as like really important in life? Okay, the way that they'll get to that point is by seeing your example. Some of you do this really amazingly. And for all of us, there's room to grow. Your kids are watching you, and day and today, night and tonight, your actions are pouring forth knowledge. Is it godly knowledge or worldly knowledge? Number two, instruction. I'll try to zip through these. Your example is important, but also thoughtful, consistent, wise instruction. And let me say this, not just the what, but the why. Not just do your chores, but why do them. Look, I would, I would suggest this. The book of Proverbs, especially as your kids get older, like something I'm thinking on as our kids get older, the book of Proverbs should be open in our homes. I think a lot. The book of Proverbs should be open in our homes. Proverbs gives us what and why, what we should do and why we should do it. Do your chores. Why? I don't want to. Hey, man, buddy, we need to build. We need to, I, you need to learn a good, solid, biblical work ethic. Let me show you what the Bible says about being a sluggard. It'll scare the living daylights out of you, and you will not want to be a sluggard. We don't just bark orders at them, but we want to tell them and teach them about the importance of authority. We don't just want to tell them to stop yelling, but we want to instruct them on how to rein in their emotions. When you teach them how and why to handle money, how and why to guard their tongues, how and why they need to plan, because planning is godly. We need to teach them how and why they ought to learn how to resolve conflict. We ought to show them what family worship looks like and instruct them in family worship. Look, do you teach your kids the Bible? 
Do you teach them how to sing? Do you teach them how to pray? Do you teach them how to honor God? If you need help with this, we can, we can give you some resources. We can help you. We use a, called the New City Catechism. We go through that with our kids. We read them the uh, Children's Storybook Bible. We pray with them. It's not, like this, it's not rocket science, you know? I mean, especially at a young age, but there needs to be structure and planning, intentionality, and consistency. Do you teach them the Bible? Do you instruct them in God's ways? Be alert for conversations as we're doing all of this. I know for uh, my son Haddon and for uh, Hannah and Brennan's daughter Sage, uh, last week we had baptisms and they're, they're, our, our son and their daughter saw the baptisms and, and they said, what is baptism? You know, because we're not at home like, okay, well we've gotten to this, you know, let's talk about baptism. Here's fake baptism, here's real baptism. You don't get baptized yet, that's not real baptism. And you know, it's not like we're doing systematic theology study with our kids at home. They're not quite there yet, he's three. So close, but not quite. Um, but they saw the baptisms, and it's like, what's baptism? And it's like, that's a good conversation. Okay, we're being alert for conversations now. Lastly, correction. Lastly is correction. I probably should have saved more time for this, but that's okay. Correction. Proverbs 22, 15. Actually, you know what? I skipped something. I'm going to read you this quote on instruction, I'm sorry, that's not prop, that's bad form, but I don't care, I'm gonna read you this quote. One pastor says, says it like this, on instructing our kids and setting an example for our, our kids. He says this, if I, if I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, but fail to teach him to keep his eyes on Christ, I have failed as a father. I think that's a concise, helpful way to think about instructing our children. Lastly, correction. Proverbs 22, 15. Again, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Your child and my children, our children, need discipline. They need discipline. Listen, discipline is not punishment for punishment's sake. It's discipline is for correction. We're correcting them. We're not punishing them for punishment's sake. We're correcting them. Follies in their heart and discipline drives the folly from them. That's the goal. And discipline, let me just say this. There's a lot we could get into on this, but let me just say this. Discipline is a gospel issue. In discipline, what we're doing is we're revealing their sin and we're meeting out the consequences of sin. We're holding them accountable now and we're calling them to repentance this is a gospel issue, friends. This isn't just a parenting opinion. It's not just like something we ought to do, but you know, there's tons of different thoughts on it. Maybe you don't really have to. It's a gospel issue. And listen, if you don't discipline your kids, someone else will as they get older. Someone will discipline. If you don't teach them what sin is, what boundaries are, what no is, not getting their own way, They'll go out into the world and in society and somebody will discipline them, but it'll be far less merciful. They'll be disciplined by the law. They'll be disciplined in prison. They'll be disciplined by serious consequences. They'll be disciplined by bullies, by people. When, when, when our kids don't get disciplined properly, they, they, they can't interact in, in, in healthy ways and they get left out and neglected. Somebody will discipline them, but it'll be far more harsh than your good corrective discipline. Yes, it is hard. You might be thinking it's hard. This seems unloving. It is hard, but friends, it's also loving. 
It's also loving. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Discipline is loving. It is loving. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Discipline is hard, but it is loving. It is loving, friends. And here's the main aim in all of these things, particularly in correction, but in all of these things. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from hell, from Sheol. If you strike him with a rod, he's not going to die. If you spank your child when spanking is appropriate, he's not going to die. If you don't spank him, he might. Here's the point in all of this. We're trying to get our children to Jesus. We're trying to get our children to Jesus. We're trying to get our children to see God as as they ought to see God. We're trying to teach them God's wisdom as God wants them to know. We're trying to teach them that it's by Jesus's steadfast love and faithfulness that our iniquity and their iniquity is atoned for. That's the the end goal of parenting, friends. We're, We're not trying to make a bunch of kids that just behave well, but a bunch of kids who love and worship and know Jesus and the gospel. Amen? We get to respond um, through song now and through communion. And I would also invite you to come up front for prayer if you so need prayer. I would just submit to you that, that this is one of those areas in our life that all of us have growth in. All of us need growth in. It's one of those areas in our life that is exceedingly difficult and trying at times. It's one of those areas in our life where we need to be the church for each other and to each other. And part of that is praying over each other, praying for our children, praying for our failures, praying in repentance, praying for encouragement, praying for wisdom, asking for help. Well, if that's you, we invite you to come pray after service. Father God, thank you for being our Father a good, perfect, loving, holy, righteous, just, compassionate Father, and thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, by whose steadfast love and faithfulness our iniquity is atoned for. I pray for the parents in this room, and I pray for the future parents in this room, God. Would you give us wisdom on parenting and loving and raising godly children? Would you give us discipline to get in our word, to set the example, to instruct correctly, would you help us with all of that, Jesus? And I pray for those who might feel that they've blown it and have failed. Lord, I pray that they would receive your grace, your forgiveness, and your gospel fresh this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.